friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today is that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram, and you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. Let's pray right now as you're preparing your hearts to give. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the gift But mostly, I thank you for the giver, Lord. I thank you for your people who are faithful, even in this moment, God, where we've had to go online for the last three weeks. God, people have have continued to be generous and continue to give and walk in faithfulness with their tithe and with their offering. And I pray, God, that you would uh, bring increase into their lives, bring increase, God, that, Lord, uh, you would work in them and through them. God, that you would touch their families. God, that you would touch their finances, touch their health, Lord. God, I pray that you would do the supernatural. We thank you, Jesus, and we love you. And it's a privilege and an honor to partner with you in your kingdom work. We give you all the glory. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If those of you who are watching and following online, uh, the link is there for giving if you'd like to click that as well. But uh, I'm ready to jump into God's word. I don't know about you. If you're ready, let me see some amens. In the comment section, we're ready to jump into the Word of God this morning, and um, I'm excited to be back with you uh, online. I know that um, it's a little bit of a different experience preaching to an empty room. I've got five people here who love Jesus, and they're going to try to shout me down as much as they can, because I told them before service, shout me down, and uh, if they don't, well, then we got, I'm not doing my job, um, <laughs> but uh, I want to hear from you as well, those of you who are online and, and watching, and thanks for being again with us live. And those of you who are watching, who've come back to watch this, you weren't with us live, but you're watching the recording on YouTube. Thanks for joining us too. We're thinking about you too, and uh, we're, we're grateful. And we're continuing to pray for the health and the uh, recovery of those who have been affected by COVID. This last outbreak has kind of moved through our city and uh, in our church, and we're praying for divine health, divine healing in your bodies, and those who who have been affected just by being on quarantine and having to be uh, locked down for a bit. We've been praying for you as well, that God would minister you in in this moment and in this season. Uh, This morning, we're going to be looking at uh, uh, part of our reading that we did this week. And we we read, again, some tremendous stories through our our Bible reading plan. If you're not a part of that, um, we're going to allow you to jump back into it once we start the New Testament uh, that's going to be a fresh start for us coming here. I think it in, starts in October. We'll be jumping in. So you, if you've not been on track with us through the, through the Bible, through the reading plan this year, you have an opportunity coming up to begin with us as we jump into the New Testament and read through the New Testament till the end of the year as well. But we've been reading through the Old Testament recently and, well, for <laughs> all of this year. And uh, now we're eight months into the year. And part of the, what we've read this week is an interesting story that I found in 2 Kings chapter 20. And, uh, and it's about a king named Hezekiah. Hezekiah. Um, I don't know if you know anybody named Hezekiah or not. It's a great name. And, um, and we're going to be talking about this king named King Hezekiah. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 20. And uh, if you are uh, following with us, Say amen. If you have a, your Bible with you or a, uh, on a device, you can open that up. Reading out of 2 Kings chapter 20. In this, in this chapter, there's two significant stories. Two significant stories that are happening in this chapter. And they're related and connected to each other. 
And uh, as we move through them, we're going to see how not only how they're related, but how they relate to us and how they speak to us. And we believe uh, as a church, we believe that God's word is authoritative, that it is uh, divinely, it is inspired by God. And we, we submit our lives to the authority of Scripture here. And we believe that it speaks to us. Not only does it inform us of what happened in the past, that it's informing us today what, how, how God desires us to live. And if uh, you're ready, we're going to jump into this text. And as we move through it, you'll see how these things relate to us today. And I want you to keep in mind two questions. I have two questions that, that we're going to relate back to in this message. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write them down right now. Now, these two questions are this. The first question is this. What will you do with the time you've been given? What will you do with the time you've been given? And the second question is like it. On who or what will that time be spent? So how, uh, what are you going to do with the time you've been given? And how are you going to spend that time? On what are you going to spend that time? On who are you going to spend that time? Turning with me to 2 Kings chapter 20. As you're doing that, let's pray together. Lord Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it speaks to our hearts. We ask, God, that you would divinely speak to us right now through your word, through your scripture. God, we open our hearts to receive. We open our ears, Lord. Help us to see. Help us to hear. Help us to understand, Holy Spirit, what you want us to receive from your message today, from your word. God, we love you. We honor you and we thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, everyone said a good morning and amen. I was going to say amen and I said good morning, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> let's jump in. Chapter 20, it starts out by telling us about a story of a time when King Hezekiah was sick. And in this beginning of chapter 20, we, we understand that he's about to die. He, his, his time is up. And God even sends the prophet Isaiah to go to him and tell him, Listen, this sickness that you have is going to take your life, and you need to get your house in order. And maybe as we're reading this story, some of you are thinking, man, that's kind of harsh. Why would the Lord come to him and say, hey, look, this is going to end you, and you need to put your house in order. But even in, in this statement from the prophet Isaiah, it shows the, uh, the grace of God. Because not, not many of us know when we're going to die. Not many of us have the opportunity to set things in order before we pass. And God was giving King Hezekiah the opportunity to set things right in his home before he passed. But as we read in Scripture, Hezekiah is, is unsettled, to say the least, to know that he's about to die. And, and it tells us that he turns his face to the wall. And, and all that means is to say that he gets alone with God. He's, he says, I have to spend time with the Lord in this moment. And he cries out to God. And in verse 3, chapter 20, verse 3 of 2 Kings says this. Now, O Lord, please remember how I walk before you in faithfulness with my whole heart. And how I have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. Now, this is, a, this is a kind of prayer that was, that was appropriate in the Old Testament. Because Hezekiah is saying, look, God, I've been obedient, I've been good, I've done good, so please bless me. Please bless me. And the reason why it was appropriate then 
was because the blessings of God in the Old Testament were tied to people's goodness or to their obedience to what he commanded them to do in the law. And Hezekiah is saying, look, I've done good. I, I got rid of idols. I, I, I did all the things that I should have done. Please bless me. Remember that I've obeyed and blessed me. And this kind of prayer now, though, on the other side of the cross, is not appropriate for us to pray as Christians today. And let me explain why. Because God's blessings in our lives are not dependent on our goodness or how good we are or how many good things that we do. Right? God doesn't bless us because we're, we are good. God blesses us because he is good, because of Jesus' goodness. See, our blessing is dependent on how good Jesus is, not about how good we are. And so we wouldn't pray this prayer, God, look, at, I did this for you, and I've done that for you. I did all these things for you. You need to bless me. This is a, a part of Scripture where it's, it's describing what happened, but it's not prescribing it to us that we should that should we live this way, that we should pray these kind of prayers, right? There are some things in the Old Testament that are descriptive, and, and throughout the Bible there are some things that just are descriptive, and there's other things that are prescriptive, meaning we should apply them to us, we should do these things. And this prayer is not a prescriptive prayer, it's a descriptive prayer. We should not pray like this now because we are blessed because of the goodness of Jesus, not because of our own goodness. So as we're, we're looking for the blessings of the Lord, they don't come to us by our own merits to receive his blessing. No, we, we look to, to the goodness and the faithfulness of Christ and we cling to him. So if you want to be blessed, don't try to be better. Just hold on to Jesus and follow after him. You want to be blessed? You want to have a blessed life? You want to live in blessing? Don't just say, I got to be better. No, say, I got to hold on to Jesus. Because in Jesus are the blessings. In Jesus, the blessings of God are fulfilled. In Jesus, God's promises are yes and amen. In Jesus. So you want to be blessed? Hold on to Jesus. Follow after Jesus. Pursue Jesus. Look for Jesus and be like Jesus. That's where blessing comes. But here, God hears Hezekiah, Hezekiah's prayer. And this is what I love. The Bible tells us that before Isaiah can even get out of the palace, God hears uh, King Hezekiah's prayer, and he tells Isaiah, hey, stop, turn around, and go tell him I've heard his prayer. Isn't that amazing? That's the kind of answer I want when I pray. I want, when I pray, God, would you do this? I want someone knocking on my door and say, hey, God heard what you just said, and he's going to do it. Wouldn't that be awesome? I love that. This is essentially what happens here. It says, look, I heard, I heard King Hezekiah, I, I saw his tears, I heard him crying out to me, and I'm going to answer it. But King Hezekiah doesn't readily believe what Isaiah is saying. He says, I need a sign. Give me, give me a sign that what you're telling me is actually true and is going to happen. And I don't know about you, but if I was crying out to God for an answer right after the man of God or woman of God came to me and said, hey, this is what's going to happen in your life, and I cried out and they turn around and say, hey, God heard your prayer, I'd be like, thank you, Jesus. But Hezekiah is like, no, give me a sign. I need to know that God is actually going to extend my life. 15 years. So Isaiah says, okay, I'll give you a sign. I'll give you two options. The, the, the shadow on the sundial can either go back 10 steps, meaning the time can go backwards, which is an impossibility, right? But God can make anything possible. Or he says, or it can go forward 10 steps. The time, time can move faster. 
Hezekiah says, it's easy to go faster, which let's see you try, like make time, go, make time speed up, you know. But he says, oh, I want it to go back 10 steps. And so Hezekiah says, this is your sign. And the sundial goes back 10 steps, which I think is also a beautiful blessing from the Lord. Because he even, not only does he tell Hezekiah, I'm going to give you 15 years, he gives them 10 steps even further back on the sundial. I don't know how, how many hours or minutes that was, 10 steps was on the sundial, but God extended his time, 15 years plus 10 steps of the shadow. Because I think but this story is wanting to highlight to us what we do with our time. I think that in this story that we're reading about Hezekiah, God is, is demonstrating that what we do with our time, how we spend our time, and what we spend our time on really matters to him. He's saying, Hezekiah, I heard your, I heard your cry. I'm going to give you more time. And as a sign that I'm going to give you more time, I'm going to give you more time. Isn't that wonderful? I asked you two questions earlier at the beginning of my message, and the questions are this. What will you do with the time that you've been given, and on who or on what will you spend that time? How will that time be spent? What are you going to do with it? How are you going to spend it? See, time is a gift. What we do with our gift matters to the Lord. Now, I'm sure you've heard some uh, sayings before. Uh, we, we say them a lot, and they're idioms in our culture. Uh, this, the, these idioms are like, um, hey, time will heal all wounds. Anybody's ever heard that? Yeah. Uh, maybe only time will tell, right? Or just, just give it time. We have these idioms that we say. And what's interesting is that these sayings, these idioms are only partially true. There's only partial truth in this. Because in reality, time can't heal all wounds. Time doesn't heal, right? Time doesn't give us wisdom. It doesn't do these things for us. But what we do in that time as time passes is what actually does the healing, is what actually gives us knowledge, is what actually tells if what we, what we decided to do is right or wrong. Time doesn't do that, but what we do in that time and with that time is what brings the change or brings the revelation or brings the healing. Because I know people... And I'm sure that you know people, and maybe that you, you might be one of the, this, these people this morning, that you've gone through some very traumatic things. You've gone through some very difficult seasons. You've gone through some, some uh, hardships in your life, maybe even in your childhood, maybe even in your teen years and young adult years, or maybe you're going through something now. I've known people who are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, who went through childhood trauma and teenage trauma, that are still wrestling with that trauma today. They're still struggling with it. It still affects them. And what does that tell me then? It tells me that time doesn't heal all wounds. It tells me that just giving something time isn't going to bring the change that we're looking for. That, that even though they walked through all these things, they didn't get the wisdom that time should have given them. So it's not that time does it, it's what we do with the time, it's what we do in that span of time that matters, that will bring healing, that will bring freedom, that will bring wisdom and restoration and all of these things. So what we do with the time we've been given matters to the Lord. And this is what I would recommend to us, that the best ways to use our time and to spend our time is to giving, them, giving our time to Jesus and to others. We give our time, 
We sow our time in with Jesus, and we sow our time in with people. But we see through Hezekiah's story that he doesn't do that. Hezekiah's story here in chapter 20 serves as a warning to us as people who want to be followers of Jesus or who are following after Jesus want to be more like him. Because we see this in the story, this warning, and it starts out in verse 12. And I love this because we're seeing this image, we're seeing this, this metaphor, this overarching theme of time in this chapter. And it starts in verse 12. It says, at that time. At that time. And it, bego- it goes on to explain that during this extended time of life for King Hezekiah, the king of Babylon, sends an envoy with letters and presents for King Hezekiah because he could, heard Hezekiah was, had been sick. And so he sends them over to Hezekiah. Scripture tells us that this envoy comes from Babylon, which is a faraway nation, but it's a superpower nation. It's a nation that we know 100 years from this point, give or take, is going to overthrow Assyria, which is the nation that is currently terrorizing and putting pressure on and has destroyed Israel and is already invading and moving towards Jerusalem during this time. And, and, and during this, this season of Hezekiah, he's about to die. Jerusalem has not yet been delivered from the king of Assyria. And during the 15-year span of Hezekiah's life, he's going to see not only healing in his body, but he's going to see Jerusalem delivered from the Assyrian army. And Babylon is a superpower that, that he sees, hey, these people could potentially help us with this enemy that's coming against us. Maybe I can partner with him. He sees this envoy coming from Babylon, and he's flattered. His reaction and his interaction with this envoy from Babylon reveals to us how he chose to spend his time, how he chose to invest these next 15 years. See, this, this, this Babylonian envoy was a big deal for him. It flattered him because of this superpower who was about to overthrow Assyria in the next few decades, and they knew Hezekiah's name. And he wants to show him all the great things that he has and all the great things that he's done. I, I think it's interesting. It's um, All of a sudden, we, we understand that Hezekiah was looking for the approval, approval of man more than the approval of God in this story. He wanted to show them all, look at all the cool stuff I have. And it reminded me, when I was younger, growing up, I played baseball when I was on travel leagues and all-star teams, and I was on a great team. And uh, I was mediocre, but they let me on. And I was on great teams, and we won a lot of tournaments, and I had a lot of trophies. And these little rinky-dink, you know, plastic with the little plastic gold spray-painted baseball player on there and different trophies that I had laid out. And uh, I made a little display in my room, you know, 7th grade, 6th grade, 7th grade, little Josh Blair, little Joshy. And I had this little, almost like a little baseball shrine of all my plaques and trophies and laid them all out beautifully. And anytime we had guests over to our house or my friends came to visit or whatever, whoever it might have been, I always wanted to show them my trophies. Hey, come out and look. And how I laid it out. I mean, I still do that today. I like to show off. Look what I did. I made it, you know, whatever. I, did, I, I literally did that this morning to the, to the team. I showed them something I was working on in the nursery. I was like, look what I did, you know. And I, I wanted to show them. And, and those trophies, looking back, they were worthless. They're, I mean, pl- pieces of plastic. 
and, and I thought I was so proud of them. And I see Hezekiah in this story wanting to show this envoy from Babylon, look at all the great things I did. Look at everything that I've accomplished. And it's to his own demise because it, he's taking pride in himself rather than in pride in the, what the Lord has done. And he's taking all the credit. And, and in verse 13, we see Hezekiah starts to walk this, on, uh, this envoy, this, this group of people sent from their king in Babylon. And he, it says that he welcomed them and he showed them all his treasure, all the treasure in his house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, his little baseball trophies, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all of his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Do you, do you pick up what I'm trying to illustrate? His, all his stuff. All of his things that he's done. All of his treasures. And it demonstrated that he was going to spend the next 15 years being about himself. See, Hezekiah is a story about how some of us can face and fail under the temptation that many, especially in ministry, fall under. And it's the temptation of success. See, many men and women who stand strong in temptations of weakness and of failure, who hold on to Jesus in, in, in times of sickness and worry and anxiety, they run to Jesus. They, they have the ability to fall in times of temptation of success and strength. Let me think about what all Hezekiah went through and how much he succeeded. The Bible says he was a godly king. He was victorious. He had been miraculously healed. He experienced a miracle of God in his body. He was promised long life by God. He knew, I have time. That's a blessing. Not, not many of us know. Actually, none of us know if we're going to be here tomorrow. God told him, you have 15 more years. What a blessing. He had a connection with a mighty prophet, a great prophet in, in, in Judah and in Israel in, in Isaiah. He had, he had seen miraculously and remarkable signs. He was wealthy. He was famous. He was praised and honored by men, and he was honored by God. And yet, he sinned greatly after this great gift of 15 more years of life, where he was going to see the deliverance of his city, Jerusalem, and yet he turned his life more inward than outward. Here's how I think. Hezekiah sinned in this moment of extended life, 15 years. I think the first sin that we saw Hezekiah wrestle with is the sin of pride. He was prideful because he was honored by this, this great superpower. They, they knew his name. He felt like he had arrived, like he had accomplished something. It's as if the president knew your name. It's as if somebody who you admire and look up to, wanted to hang out with you. It's as if, like, after Tom Brady won the Super Bowl, he called up Nathaniel. He's like, hey, bro, how about that? You see that? You'd be like, oh, man, I'm so, I must be someone special. I, 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 I'm making, I'm going places, right? And in that honor of man, he honored himself rather than honoring God. He was blown up, puffed up like a puffer fish full of pride. I think that was his first 
indignation or in, uh, indication of sin in his life. The next thing would be in ingratitude. He wasn't grateful. When they came to honor him, he received it. It was like, you're right. I am worthy of honor. Uh, yes, you should praise me, right? He was not, he didn't say, hey, look, everything that we have, everything, this nation has been blessed because of the God that we serve. He said, yeah, I'm a good king. I've done good things. In fact, I, I think that leads into his third sin. He abused the gifts that he'd been given. He abused the gifts that he'd been given. He took these gifts and he took these favors. And in fact, you can look in 2 Chronicles 32, and it says that it, it, it gratified him. It, it fed his flesh. He, he um, took pride in it and he loved it. I think the fourth sin that we see is that he had what I like to call carnal confidence, meaning he didn't have confidence in God. He had confidence in himself. And it's, it's a different kind of confidence. Carnal confidence is not like, oh, good self-esteem. It also means that he thought who, those who I surround myself with will insulate me and protect me from the things that are coming against me. So he thought, look, Babylon is up and coming too. They're going to uh, they're a superpower. If I partner with them, whatever the Syrians are going to do and try to attack us, they're going to have to run because I've surrounded myself. He had carnal confidence. He thought, look, my friends, my people, my homies, my family, they got my back. And so I don't need to cry out to God. I, I'm confident with those who are around me. But that was sinful because he was putting his trust in other things other than God. The last one I think where he missed it was his misopportunity. So he had a great opportunity to testify to this Babylonian envoy, this a pagan nation who did not know God. He had the opportunity to, to show them the greatness of God, that how, how the Lord had blessed Judah and how the Lord had, had lifted them up. Instead, he glorified himself. He took the time that God had given him and he focused only on his own comfort and his own success. Notice, everything that he showed them was his stuff, but he didn't take them to the temple of the Lord. He didn't say, this is where we all, this is where we worship the Lord. This is the bronze altar. This is where we sacrifice to God. This is the one who's made us prosper. No, he showed them all of his own stuff, meaning that he was selfish and focused on his own comfort, on his own success. And it's revealed so clearly in the next story, or in the next portion of this story, in verse 19. See, Isaiah comes to confront Hezekiah about this envoy. <clears throat> and, and he says, what did you show them? What did you show them? And he says, man, you can almost hear this sense of pride and accomplishment in his, in his voice. He said, I showed them all my good stuff. Everything that I've got, all my treasure, I didn't hide anything from them. I showed them all. I showed them how good we are. I showed them how wealthy we are. I showed them how many provisions we got. I showed them how wonderful, like we are a nation to be reckoned with. We are, they should want to partner with us because all the good stuff we got. And Isaiah responds to him, says, one day Babylon will come to this place and they'll carry all your good stuff away. And not only will they carry your stuff away, they're going to carry away your true treasure, which is your children and your grandchildren. And even tells them they're going to be eunuchs in, in the palace of their king. They're going to serve them. They're going to be childless. The generations of your family are going to be cut off because of this envoy that you are so happy to entertain. And here we see 
Hezekiah's response. The most heartbreaking response we'll read of a godly Old Testament king. He says in verse 19 to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, why not, if there will be peace and security in my days? The word, Isaiah said, they're going to take all your stuff. Not only that, they're going to cut off your generation. They're going to take your children. They're going to take your grandchildren and put them in captivity. And he thought, sounds good to me as long as I'm secure and I have peace. It's horrible. It's horrible. And what it reveals to us is that he didn't care about the next generation. He didn't care about his kids and grandkids. All he cared about was his comfort and his peace. Probably one of the most heartbreaking and sad uh, statements that we'll read of a godly king in the Old Testament. He had seen God do tremendous things, even heal him as he cried out to God. And yet when he hears the next generation's in trouble... He does nothing. When Isaiah says the next generation's going to suffer, he has no response but sounds good. Sounds good to me. When he's told your time is short, he falls on his face and cries out to God, please give me more time. But when he's told the next generation time is short, he's like, well, that's their problem, not mine. When, he say, when Isaiah says your grandchildren are going to be carried off and are going to become eunuchs. He says, I'm not affected at all. He was more concerned about himself than he was for those that were going to follow after him. I asked two questions this morning. What are you doing with the time that you've been given? And on who or what will you spend that time? How will your time be spent? What are you going to do with it? So if you take the time that you've been given in your life only to focus on your own success and focus on your own comfort, you'll end up becoming like Hezekiah, not caring for the next generation, but being only about yourself, being only concerned with yourself. So you make decisions that are good for you, so you decide to do this thing or go to this place because it's good for you, but you're not caring about how it affects the next generation or how it's going to trickle down to your grandkids, your great-grandkids. Those things don't matter to you. What matters to you is you. We see this, and it's a warning to us not to be like him in his last days with the time that he's been given. How are we going to spend our time? What are we going to do with it? If we make it about ourselves? Not for others, we're dooming the next generation. And I'm not talking just about financial success and financial comfort. I'm, I'm even talking about spiritual success and spiritual peace. Because I've, I've, I've heard Christians say things about their walk with Jesus that seems really selfish. And I don't want us to be that way. Man, I, I don't care if you're, you're saying, I read my Bible every day, I pray every day, I worship, I give. Those are all great things, but if it's to grow your comfort, we might be missing it. See, these are things that God uses to draw us closer to Him, 
but not to solely benefit ourselves, but to benefit others and especially the next generation. We draw closer to Jesus because we love him and we want to be close to him. We want to know him, but not so that we can just soak him up like a sponge and not be squeezed out. Sometimes we need to be squeezed so that the goodness of God can flow out of us because God pours into us so that we can pour into others. We are blessed to be a blessing. We should not be holding it up like the Dead Sea. Water flows into it, but nothing flows out of it, and it dies. But we draw close to Jesus so that we can help others draw close to him as well. And Hezekiah cried out to God. He wanted to be saved. He wanted to experience the merciful God, and God did it so that he would have more time with his children, more time with his grandchildren, so that he could invest in the next generation, and he doesn't. But what he does is say, whatever happens to them is on them. I'm going to live in comfort and peace. See, our time that we've been given, with the Lord especially, is not solely for ourselves or for the benefit of ourselves. It's to benefit, to grow, and to develop others. So how will we spend our time? I pray that you would spend it with the Lord and on others. Spend it getting to know the Lord, but not so that you can grow in knowledge to puff yourself up, but that so that you can love others well, so that you can give to others well, so that you can draw others to Jesus. I'm sick and tired of hearing believers say, well, this world's going to hell. My neighbors are going to hell. My kids are living like hell. But thank God I'm going to heaven. What is that? That's not biblical. That tells me you're concerned with one thing, and it's you. Oh, that we would be people who would cry out for the deliverance of those around us, just as much as we cried out for our own deliverance. See, the story of Hezekiah should have been this. He cried out to God in his sickness. God heard him and gave him more time. And then even as he sinned and puffed himself up before this envoy from Babylon, and Isaiah came to him and said, because of this, the generations after you are going to be carried off. Oh, that he would have responded the same way he responded when he told his time was short. And he turned his face to the wall and cried out, God, would you give my kids more time? God, would you give my grandkids more time? God, would you be a deliverer for them as well as you've been for me? But he doesn't do that. He says, sounds good. Oh, that we would be people who say, God, would you save me? Would you set me free? Would you redeem me? Would you make me more like you? And then at the same time say, God, would you save our world? God, would you save my neighbors? God, would you save my children and my grandchildren? God, would you save my community and my city? And we would cry out the, with the same intensity and tenacity as we would cry out for ourselves. As we would cry out, if it was us going through it. See, we should have, Hezekiah should have had the same response that he had when he, told, he was told his illness was terminal. But he didn't because his life was about himself. And it serves as a warning to us. As followers of Jesus, let's not live the same way Hezekiah did. Jackie, if you would come. Sam. And close our time out.
See, Jesus saved you for a purpose. Not so that you can tell people, I'm going to heaven, bless God. I don't care what you do or where you go, but I'm going. That's the purpose of evangelism is to tell people, hey, I found the goodness of God. I found the Savior. I found freedom and deliverance, and I want you to find it too. So that we would not shut up. Our faith is, is personal, but it's not private. Come on, somebody. Your faith is personal to you, but it should not be private. It's not something that you do behind closed doors. Our faith in Jesus draws us to love others well, to serve others well, to honor them. Not, why? Because they're created in the image of God and because their soul has value, their life has purpose. As we see the chaos in our world around us, as we see people making horrible decisions that are hurting themselves and others, that we wouldn't just write them off and say, well, as long as I have peace and comfort, I don't care about them. Whatever they do is up to them. I don't care. The word of the Lord is good. If they're going to be judged, whatever. No, but we would say, God, would you save them? Would you have mercy on them like you had mercy on me? The reason you know Jesus is because someone cried out for you. Because you had a mama, a grandparent. You had somebody who was willing to share the good news of Jesus with you. Let's not grow complacent and think because we're being successful in the world or even in our own spiritual growth that that's all it is. No, let's be a people who said, I'm willing to cry out for others, especially this next generation. Teenagers, I know you're here in Madeira, you're starting school tomorrow. We're crying out for you. We're crying out that God would move powerfully in your life, that you would be light in dark places, that you would stand firm for the truth, that you would be willing to say, this is what I believe. And Jesus loves us. Jesus loves you. I'm going to pursue after him. I'm not going to go do those things that everyone else is saying that I need to do. I'm going to love Jesus, and I'm going to stand here, and I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to tell you about the goodness of God. We're praying for you that you would stand firm, but know that your, your faith is personal, but it's not private. We serve. We give. We spend our time with Jesus and on others so that they, would, might, they might know Jesus. They might find his goodness and his freedom and his forgiveness and his love. We want to spend our lives just as if you would cry out for your own deliverance, cry out for the deliverance of others. Just like you would cry out for your own healing, cry out for the healing of others. Just like you would cry out for your own salvation, cry out for the salvation of others. Let the story of Hezekiah be a warning to us that we would not respond the way he responded, but respond the way Jesus, who saw our plight, who saw our brokenness, he didn't remain in heaven and say, I'm good. Whatever their issue is, is their issue. No, Jesus stepped out of heaven, came down to earth, born in the flesh of a virgin, lived this life 33 years, for three years, he served, he loved, he showed, he taught, and then he went to the cross for us. And he died a death he should not have died for the sins he did not commit, but our sin. He carried our, the weight of our guilt upon himself. Three days later, after he died, he rose again, 
showed himself to his disciples. He taught them, and then he ascended to the Father. And even now, he makes intercession for us at the right hand of God because he loves us. And we want to be like him. Church, the spirit of the living God is in you. The spirit of the living God is upon you. He has empowered you to declare freedom for people, to set captives free, to release healing, to open blind eyes. It's on you. It's in you. God wants to move through you. So let's be others-minded. Let's serve and love well. This morning, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I don't know where you're watching. I don't know if you've given your life to Jesus before and you've walked away or if you've never put your hope and trust in Jesus. Today is the opportunity. We want, we want to give you the opportunity to know who Jesus is. And we believe as you pray this prayer, we believe that the spirit of the living God is going to come in you. He's going to revive you, rejuvenate you, give you a new heart. He's going to make you come alive in ways you've never experienced before. Your spirit will experience the living God. If that's you this morning and you want to have a personal relationship with Jesus, then I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, thank you for coming to die for me, for coming to live for me, for rising from the dead. I put my hope in you. I put my trust in you. Come live in me. Make me new. Forgive me and wash me. Purify me, God, from the sins of my past, the sins of my present, even the sins of my future. God, I want to know you. I want to follow you all the days of my life. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, let us know. You can comment right here in the YouTube chat, and we can connect with you, or you can go to our website. There's a connect card, connect section that you can click on. Go to cbcmadera.com. You can click on the connect. There might even be a link here that you can click on to get connected and let us know I prayed the prayer. I gave my life to Jesus. Because we believe that God wants to know you. We believe that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. God wants to set you free. God wants to work in you in tremendous ways. God has gifted you and talented giving you talents for a reason and he wants you to know him for the rest of us this morning I, I pray as believers that we would begin to experience the having the burden for others that as a church body we would say God this this faith of mine is not just is not, is not just personal, it's public. It's a personal faith and it's a public faith. It's not meant to be private behind closed doors and nobody even knows about it. People would know who we serve and that we would tell them and we would demonstrate our lives, the way we live, the way we act, the way we speak, the way we respond, demonstrates that we follow Jesus we'd be willing to go out of our way, out of our comfort, out of our safety and our security to tell people about Jesus. Church, I pray that that's our heart's cry. 
Because revival is moving in this church. It's happening. I know why for the last three weeks we've had to go online. Man, we've been under attack because the Spirit of God's been moving powerfully and heavily in your lives and in our services. And God's going to continue to move powerfully. One, one aspect of revival, of God moving powerfully, is that all of a sudden we have a desire to share about who Jesus is. We have a desire to evangelize, to share with others that Jesus can save them and wants to work in them. And I believe that this word is a timely word that God is saying to us, church, get out of your comfort. Get out of your security. Now is the time. Now is the time. And I will show you the place for you to take a stand and share my love with others. Tell them about my love. Tell them how much I love them. Tell them about my grace and my mercy. Tell them that there's hope. Tell them that there's life. Tell them that there's freedom found in me. Church, I want you to I want you to have the boldness and I want you to feel the burden. Because it's a good burden that we would feel the responsibility, the weight of sharing with others the goodness of Jesus. So I want to pray a prayer over us. If that's you, just open your heart and say, Jesus, I want this. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray. In your name, with your authority, God, that you would move in your people today. That you would move in your church today. God, we believe that the church is not these four walls, not this building. It's your people. And I pray that, God, as revival has been being poured out upon your, uh, your people and the Spirit of God has been moving powerfully, that, God, you would move powerfully now in the name of Jesus upon your people and that you would fill them with overflowing with the joy and the hope and the love of Jesus. God, that it would overflow and spill out, God. And that, God, this faith of theirs is not only personal, it's public. It's meant to be shared with others. I pray, God, that they would move, they would have concern for their neighbors. God, that they would feel the burden and the weight of responsibility for the next generation. That we wouldn't write them off, but God, we would say, God, you want to do something powerful in them. God, use me to release it. God, work in your people today. Fill them, encourage them, strengthen them. God, you love them. You've blessed them. You've gifted them. You've called them. God, now let them work in it as they walk with you. Father, I love them, and I love you, and I pray that, God, you would bless them and keep them. Let your face shine upon them. God, give them your peace. Give them your boldness. Give them your strength today. Lord, we, we come against the attack of the enemy on their life right now. I pray, Jesus, your protection over them right now. God, that they would make wise choices in the midst of the attacks they're facing. That they would cry out to you and run to you. God, touch them right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it.